Hey everybody, welcome to our live stream here at New Promise Church in Kirtland, Ohio. I'm Pastor Rory Gruders, and it is our pleasure to be sharing God's Word with you today. Hope you had a great week last week, but the cool thing is this is Sunday morning. It is the beginning of a new week with God. Last week we started an exciting series called Having Ears to Hear, Our God Who Speaks, because there's nothing more important or imperative in our lives than to have ears to hear God speaking to us. And because God is always speaking to us. Seven times in Revelations 2 and 3, God says, let him who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, giving us guidance and direction and comfort and counsel and passion and purpose and perspective and loving encouragement and inspiration. Last week, we talked about hearing God's voice in prayer. This week, what I want to talk about is hearing God's voice in the Bible. Hearing God speak to us through the Bible. The Bible being made up of 66 different books, of 31,000 uh, verses, of 783,137 words, all spoken to us. Spoken by God to 40 different writers who wrote the 66 different books over a 1,500 year span of time, yet it is amazingly consistent and cohesive, written and spoken for our betterment, our blessing, and our benefit. Now, while the Bible doesn't answer every question that we could ever come up with, the Bible does answer every question about what we need to know about how to live right with God and live with the people around us. And so what I want to consider today as we start this morning is I want to consider the origin of the Bible and what scripture says about the Bible in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19 from verses 7 to 9 it says the law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making the simple wise. The precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light or illumination to the eyes. The decrees of the Lord are solid, firm, resolute, and all of them are righteous. But I think to myself, how can that be? How can the word of God be uh, something that is a, an ancient written document so many years ago, centuries ago, how can it be timelessly true and perfect and applicable to all walks of life in all generations of all centuries? It must not have had human origin is what we need to conclude. Because human origin, you're limited by time and space and dimension and frankly, your own history. You're also limited by a very narrow perspective of, of a lifetime. And so I think the Bible must have had a divine origin outside of creation, outside of time, so it could be timeless in its application, timeless in its perspective, and timeless in its power to speak to all people of every generation and every century. And so that leads me to have to conclude that the Bible must have been spoken by something or someone who is supernatural, a spirit being who exists outside of creation and outside of time, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere at all times. And of course, we're talking about God. 
God must be the author of the Bible, the living one, as Scripture calls him. And it's natural that a loving God who creates all things and creates you and me, his created image and likeness, human beings, it's natural, it's normal, it's logical that God would want to speak to us, that God would want to reveal to us what he already knows from beginning to end so that we could have guidance and direction, comfort and counsel, bearings, balance and perspective and passion and purpose and encouragement and illumination into the, the world and into the life that, that we've been born into. And I think that's so cool thinking about it regardless of century, regardless of, of time, re regardless of generation, God speaks to all people who will have ears to hear what his spirit is saying to the church. He speaks to all of us through his word, through the Bible. But then I consider, well, how did God communicate? to those 40 different writers who wrote the 66 different books that have over 783,000 words in them. So you and I could benefit and, and, and be blessed by that. And so I go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 for that answer. It says that all of Scripture is God-breathed. Now that's interesting, the word breathed in Greek, it's the word pneuma, which is also where we get the words wind, breath, and spirit from. So all of scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped or completely equipped for every good work. And then 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says, prophecy never had its origins in the human will or in the human mind. The prophets, though human, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That would presume the Holy Spirit of God. So, therefore, the Word of God is the breath, the pneuma, or the Spirit of God. The Word of God is the voice of God speaking to us. And so, he spoke to those 40 different writers who wrote those 66 different books with the 783,000 plus words in them. He spoke to them by his Holy Spirit, speaking to them either audibly or inspirationally. But the Word of God is the Spirit of God or the breath of the Spirit of God, which is why the Spirit of God will never do anything contrary to what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God and the Spirit of God, they're in sync with one another. They're like one and the same being. It's the Word of God that is written, but it was spoken by the Spirit of God to the writers who wrote it. And so when you read uh, in God's Word about God's Holy Spirit, you know what to expect because God's Word is the breath of God's Spirit. And God's Spirit will never do anything that is contrary to what the Word of God says. And so every time that, that uh, we turn our eyes towards God's Word, we, we see how every part of God's word applies to some area of our lives because as we're turning our eyes to God's word, we're allowing God's word and God's spirit to refocus our faith to the frequency of God's voice in a particular area of our life. The second thing that I want to consider is where it says that God's word or God's voice 
is time-tested, trustworthy, right, and true. It's reliable. It's dependable. Do you know there are several studies that have been done since I don't know when, but there's several studies out there that have proven that God's Word, the Bible, is true and accurate in over 101 ways in the areas of science, nature, archaeology, and human history. Now, the Bible is not a science book, but the Bible contains some things about science that surveys and studies have proven the Bible is true about these things. The Bible is not an archaeology book or, or a human nature and human history book per se, but the Bible contains things in the Bible that are accurate and true in all of these areas, science, nature, archaeology, and human history. Making accurate claims unlike any other ancient religious document or writing in history. For instance, um, the Bible verifies the makeup location of the universe, of Earth, space, time, planets, stars, constellations, and the atmosphere. Or how scientists have concluded that the order of creation in Genesis 1 is the only way that animals and people can exist on Earth where the, the first thing that was created was created so the next thing could exist. On down the order of creation, we all exist together in a delicately handled uh, ecological life here, which is why every Christian should be concerned with how we're handling the earth and what we're doing with the earth. It's the only planet we got, and we need the plants and we need the animals in order to, to exist and to sustain life. We need the oxygen that, that trees and plants and grass emit, and they need our carbon dioxide that we emit. So it's an amazing way that God has created everything he created in the order he created. Scientists conclude that this is the only way that earth and humanity can exist, that humanity can exist on earth. Or how about how babies are conceived and how they grow and how they're formed in their mother's womb, like Job 3 and uh, Psalms 139 talk about. Or one of my favorite places in, is in Leviticus 17.11 where it says that the life of anything is in its blood. I, I love that because it doesn't just mean our existence is in our blood, but the essence of who we are is in our blood. Let me explain that. The existence of our life is in our blood. Medical science has proven that you can remove almost every organ out of the human body and keep the human body functioning basically on machinery. But if you remove the blood and you do not replace blood, then the body will die. Our human existence is dependent upon having blood in our bodies. But not just our human existence, but in 1991, medical science cracked the DNA code. The DNA code is, is you know, that ladder, that's, that, that twisty ladder thing that you see in science classes. Well, that's what gives us our unique genetic makeup. All of the chemistries and the chromosomes that's in us that we get from our parents make us uniquely who we are. You've heard it, just like uh, no two snowflakes are the same. No two people are the same. That's because in our blood is the chemistry and the chromosomes that make us uniquely different from one to another. So I love it how in 1991, medical science caught up to something God had already knew and spoken and 
people had written down, Moses wrote it down back in the book of Leviticus way back during the Exodus period when he wrote down the life of anything is in its blood. I love it when science catches up to scripture. I really do. Uh, or how about um, uh, Genesis chapter 6 explaining the great breakup of the supercontinent called Pangaea and of course the great flood that cataclysmically changed Earth's makeup um, in about 40 days and, and 40 nights. And if you need any modern day proof of how fast the ecology can change, even in a given localized area, just go back to March or May of 1980 and study the Mount St. Helens eruption in the state of Washington, D.C. And notice how a 30 mile radius around that mountain was forever changed by two catastrophic catastrophic eruptions and then over a one month period of time afterwards the settling and everything that happened how you see the before and the after pictures and they're astounding and amazing and, and scary and spectacular how that air, whole area changed after mount saint helens erupted in, in a microcosm that can show us how the whole globe changed when all the volcanoes of the deep erupted and the heavens gave way their rain and the supercontinent Pangaea broke up, forming all the seven continents of the world. And you say, how could anybody survive something like that? It's called Noah, his family in an ark and God's grace in their lives in supernatural, spectacular ways. Or, or how about the historicity in the proof of the earthly existence of Jesus of Nazareth outside of the Bible? written by non-biblical historians and writers like in the first century Josephus and Tacticus, the second century Roman uh, governor Pliny, the third century writers Julius Africanus and Thalos, all non-biblical writers with nothing to gain by supporting the, the historicity of Christ or of Christianity, but they all wrote about him in very similar consistent fashion. They all wrote something like this. Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be the Son of God, the Christ of the Jewish people. He did many inexplicable things and miracles and was always going around doing good. He taught about love in heaven. He was claimed to have been the king of the Jews, but betrayed by Jewish leaders, crucified by Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem before Passover, dying on the same day, which was extraordinary because most people uh, usually hung on crosses for about five to six days before they finally died. Jesus, being full command and control of his own life, he gave up his life and died really in just about five or six hours on the cross. Um, during his crucifixions, the writers went on to write, there was an eclipse of the sun and an earthquake that affected all of the lower Judean area. Jesus was buried by his followers and then claimed to have resurrected three days later by hundreds of initial witnesses all over Judea. His following continues to spread to this day with many miracles and strange things done by people in his name. You know, I think to myself, if, if the Bible is so proven true of its claims in the areas of science, nature, archaeology, and human history, true about the historicity of Jesus' earthly life here on earth. If the Bible is true about the things we already know about, how probable it is that it is accurate and true about the things we haven't yet seen yet. Of course, I'm talking about heaven and hell. 
Scientists will even tell you that the more something is proven to be true, the more likely it is that it will remain to be true, powerful, and effective. But the Bible isn't just about earth science and nature and archaeology and human history. No, really, the heart and the soul and the spirit of the Bible is about our, our all-loving, our all-powerful, creating, saving, and sanctifying God, communicating to you and me in real-life, relevant ways in our lives that give us guidance and direction and, and encouragement and inspiration of how to live with God and how to live with the people around us. For instance, when you read something in the Bible, it is God speaking to you. He's speaking to you through the writers who wrote it down. He spoke to the writers so they would write it down so you and I would read and learn and live with God, learn how to live with God and with people around us. For instance, when you read the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus or, or in the book of Deuteronomy, because he gave it both to the Exodus generation, then Moses repeated it to the Deuteronomy generation, so when you read the Ten Commandments in Exodus, Deuteronomy, or if you read the book of Ephesians, when you read the book of Ephesians, God is speaking to you about how to live with God and how to live with people around you in loving, respectful unity. He talks about the blessings and the benefits of living in unity with God, in the church, in our marriages, families, with our employers, because we're all in spiritual battles. That's a quick synopsis of the book of Ephesians talks about the blessings of living in unity with God, living in unity with people around us in our marriages, in our families, living in unity with our employers, good employer-employee relationships, all because it culminates in Ephesians chapter 6 because we are in spiritual battle in our lives. And to not see it is to be naive, and to not see it is to be vulnerable to it, and God wants us to see it, and so that's why God speaks to us about it through the book of Ephesians. When you read the book of Proverbs and the book of James, you're reading about God speaking to you about how to live wisely as a Christian, how to make good choices and good decisions because our decisions determine our directions in life. And God wants us to live wisely, not unwisely. I love the book of Proverbs because Proverbs talks about how to get along with a myriad of different kinds of people. It's a book of, in places, it tells you about who to go into business with and what type of person not to go into business with. It talks about stingy people and, and rude people. It talks about how to deal with seducing people. And it talks about uh, an, the progression of becoming an alcoholic in Proverbs uh, 23, uh, around verse 30 to 35, somewhere in there. It, it, I find it sadly amazing right there where as you read those, I think it's five verses, it's God speaking to us about, you know, avoiding alcohol and staying away from alcohol because this is what happens to somebody who becomes an alcoholic. How, how, could, how could anything be more timely or more appropriate or applicable in the world we live in today? Or when you read in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7, or 2 Corinthians 6, it's God speaking to you about morality and about marriage, about who to marry, what type not to marry, um, whose choice is it to marry. It says it's under no compulsion, it's choice, it's not God compelling the way we sometimes say, God just told me to marry this person. Well, maybe God did give you that specific revelation for that moment, 
but in Revelation 6 and, and 7, it says it's not under compulsion, it's your choice to marry. And Roman, uh, Revela uh, 1 Corinthians 7 also talks about how to protect our marriages um, if we do choose to marry. Throughout the Gospels, the four Gospels in Romans 1 to 8, it's God speaking to us and speaking to you simply about how much he loves you and how amazing his grace and his Holy Spirit is in your life and in my life and in our lives. Romans chapter 8 concluded, he is making us more than overcomers. You know, I, I, love, I love the book of Romans because you can go from Romans 1 to 8 and you can see the progression of God indicts people for being sinners because we all are. In Romans 3 it says everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then Romans 4, it talks about how to go from the guilt of sin into the grip of God's grace, and that is by faith. And Romans 5 is God telling us how we can have peace with him through Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, it says, even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 7 is incredibly real because it's Paul talking about the struggle of sin within. He says, why do I not do the things I want to do and I don't do the things that I, I do the things that I shouldn't do? And he goes through this whole confusing little diatribe of emotions and things that, of, of struggling within sin within the human being. And then he concludes and he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will help me in this? And that's where Romans 8 comes in. And it talks about how the Holy Spirit is the help of God the Father in our lives, making us more than overcomers. So when you're reading the book of Romans, you're reading about how much God loves you. He sees right where you're at. And he wants to bring you out of where you're at to where he wants you to be. That is life eternally with him in heaven. And he does this through faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of his Holy Spirit in our lives. When you read the book of Revelation, it is God speaking to you about his glory, his glory in both triumph and salvation in heaven and judgment, his judgment on earth. God will get glory both by people being saved and going to heaven and God will show he's in complete command and control when he brings judgment upon the earth. Revelation really d does break down to what you're saved to and what you're saved from. Because as you study the book of Revelation, it's a roller coaster ride where you go up to the glorious beauty of heaven where the party never ends, so to speak. And then it rolls down. Almost every other chapter does this roller coaster ride of God's glory in heaven and then God's glory in the unfortunate, terrible tribulation things that are happening on earth resulting from God's judgment because people have refused, resisted, and rejected God's love for them instead of receiving God's love for them. And eventually, God tells us in his word that a judgment on earth is coming from God. But he will get glory either way. He will get glory either in heaven, in salvation, or he gets glory in his judgments on earth. You know, there's there's so much more that I could share with you uh, going back to, to Psalms 19.7 where it says how God's word makes the simple wise. In Hebrew, that's, there's an imagery there about an open mind. How God takes a closed off mind and he opens it up to the things of God, making the simple wise. In other words, not an open mind that just lets everything in, 
but an open mind that is open enough to allow God and God's word and God speaking to us come in to our lives like an open door, giving our lives inspiration and revelation, revelation, inspiration, and illumination so we can live the best lives that God wants for us to live. You know, the Bible has been translated as we wrap this up. It's been translated 1, 000, in, in 1,521 languages and dialects over the years, all so people can hear the God who created them speaking to them. That's the point of the Bible right there in a nutshell. It's, it's 66 books written by 40 different writers over a 1,500-year span of time with over 783,000 words in them translated into 1,521 languages so that God's created image and likeness, human beings, so that they, we, you, I, can hear our creator God speaking to us because he loves us so very, very much. You know, the Bible isn't some ancient artifact that sits on a dusty shelf in the back shelving place of a museum somewhere that Indiana Jones discovered. The Bible is a real, relevant, applicable application, a supernatural, spiritual document unlike anything else that's ever been, been written before or since. It is truly time-tested, trustworthy, timeless in its truth in the areas of science, nature, archaeology, and human history. It was spoken by God and written by writers so that you and I could hear the voice of our God speak to us every time we open it. So the next time you open God's word, can you let this be your prayer? Say, God, give illumination to my eyes and open my ears to hear what you, your spirit is saying to me and the church. Because God wants us to have ears to hear what his, his spirit is saying to the church. And like I said last week, those whom he calls, he enables. So if he's calling us to hear him, he gives us ways to enable us to be able to hear him. And this week, it's the Bible, the word of God's Holy Spirit speaking into our lives. So Heavenly Fathers, we open our eyes to your word. Would you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church? And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this week. I hope you have an awesome, excellent week with God. I hope you hear God speak to you in prayer and hear God speak to you in his word, the Bible, carried along by his Holy Spirit. If you need anything, if you want to celebrate something with us, if you got a praise report, if you got a prayer request, just please contact us here at New Promise Church in Kirkland, Ohio. Find us on the internet. You can get on our website. We'll have all of our contact information, either email or phone. We'd love to hear from you and either pray with you or celebrate something great that God has done in your life with you as well. Thanks for tuning in today and have a great day.